This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of the AJ Bell Money and Markets podcast, where we discuss the biggest news affecting savers, investors, and anyone who wants to better manage their finances. I'll be looking at the latest events on global stock markets and why anyone holding Bitcoin is going to be nursing a big headache. So joining me this week is Laura Souter. Hi there. I will be talking about the latest developments in the buy now, pay later space. And later on, I'll be discussing some of the best budgeting tools that you can use to get your finances ship shape. I'm going to discuss the significance of Primark finally dipping its toe into the water of e-commerce. I'll also be explaining why one fund manager believes it's time to start selling down shares in FTSE 100 oil producer Shell. And we're also going to be talking about the latest wave of takeovers on the UK stock market. And Tom Selby will be on the show to answer a listener's question about pensions. But first up, Dan, why don't you tell us what's been happening in the markets over the past week or so? Well, it's not been amazing. Uh, I think people are getting used to that now. It's sort of FTSE 100 down about 3%, FTSE 250 down a little bit more than that. US inflation higher than expected. You know, Company outlooks are sort of getting a bit worse. Lots of uncertainty over consumer and corporate spending. Of course, there's this growing fear of recession as well. So I, I just get this feeling that, um, you know, stock markets are going to be sort of jittery, certainly until we get a better idea of when interest rate hikes might peak. So you have to remember that the, the stock market's forward looking, it's likely to start moving higher before you get all the sort of the significant good news. But I, I don't think we're quite at that sort of stage yet. Um, and so it's not just stocks and bonds that have had a pretty tough time. I've seen lots of headlines about how cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin specifically have had a massive drop in value. What's been causing that? Yeah, well, I mean, Bitcoin's down about 70% from last November's peak. But actually, interestingly, it's similar to sort of previous drawdowns. Because if you go back to 2018, Bitcoin actually fell 83% over the course of that year. So um, I imagine... You know, one probable reason for what's happening is that lots of people are reassessing their appetite for risk, sort of potentially cashing out of stuff like cryptocurrencies, given it's all about speculation rather than sort of anything sort of fundamental, which you'd find when you're analyzing um, a company. We also had the, the major US cryptocurrency lending firm Celsius Network froze withdrawals and transfers, and it was sort of citing extreme market conditions. And, and that was followed shortly after by the crypto trading giant Binance. So I just think that these sort of moves will add to fears over the sort of the stability of the market in cryptocurrencies. And I just think anyone who's, um, you know, sort of still selling now must be either they need the money for something else or they, you know, they've just had enough's enough. They're just fed up with the constant um, negative news that we've been seeing for you know, quite a few months now. Um, and now let's switch to some company-specific news. We have Primark, uh, the retailer, making an announcement this week that it's trialling a click-and-collect service. Is that kind of significant news for investors? It, absolutely. So uh, Primark is owned by Associated British Foods, which is like a conglomerate of um, sort of lots of food and retail interests. Now, this I think for years, Associated British Foods has sort of said, we don't want to do anything to do with e-commerce for Primark. It's just the, the, the price of all the products are really low. So if you if you think about if you pay a third party to sort of 
pick and pack those items, by the time you've covered all those costs, you're not making any profit on you know, what are already very low, sort of lowly priced items. Uh, and it recently said it would launch a website where you could check the stock availability in the local store. Uh, you know, that's kind of handy if you think, okay, I'll just check what's there. And if it's not in stock, well, I haven't sort of wasted a trip into town. But there was still sort of no ability to actually go online and order something. But now it's going to do a trial for click and collect. And it will be focused on sort of children's clothing and accessories. And I think this is a, this is a really big breakthrough. And I think if you're an investor in Associated British Foods, this is a sign that the company is sort of changing its thinking you could argue it's it's finally you know catching up with sort of the, the modern world of retail. So, you know, click and collect is good. It will drive more people into its stores. But I think that the challenge here is got to still see if they can they can buy other things whilst they're going in, in there to pick up their order. The beauty about Primark is you go in there thinking, okay, oh, I, I want a top or something, and actually you come out with ten items, not one, because you just chuck them all in your basket, thinking, okay, they're only kind of costing a you know potentially sort of a few a few quid here and there. Um, but what, what what you know the way that Primark is sort of positioning it is that you can get four times up to four times as much choice with Click and Collect than in store. So forty percent of the product you can buy is actually exclusive to the Click and Collect service. So. Um, let's see what happens. It's going to do tests. This is certainly not a rolling out across the country yet, but I think it's a step in the right direction. And for if you're saying, if you're an investor in Associated British Foods, um, this is a big strategic change. And uh, I've certainly seen analysts sort of suggest that if they, if it works, um, you know, it could be quite a big sales driver over the longer term. So while Primark's click and collect trial should benefit customers and make shopping more convenient, it does actually come at a time when the cost of living is going up. So people need to pay more attention to their finances and not get into too much debt. And one of the worry points has been the surge in popularity for buy now, pay later schemes. And the UK government is looking to tighten the rules to help people avoid getting into financial trouble. Yeah, so this is an announcement that came out this week from the government talking about the fact that it's going to um, bring in stricter controls and more regulations for the buy now, pay later scheme. So I think most people will be familiar with this, but this is where it's an option at the checkout when you're buying online. And rather than paying for your items with your debit card or credit card, you can opt for a buy now, pay later scheme and you pay in a certain number of installments um, over a certain period of time. Now, it, lots of people don't see it as debt, but it is debt. Um, it's intended as short-term debt and you pay it off over a, a short period. But um, I think at the moment it's operated kind of outside of the normal finance and debt markets. And by now, pay later firms have put a lot of money into marketing and deals with retailers so that it's a really kind of slick, easy way to pay. Um, however, the government has now said that it's going to uh, crack down on it. Um, it's going to bring regulation in. It's going to have stricter controls around um, how these things are advertised, how the fees are explained to people before they take on um, this buy now, pay later debt, and also how missing debt payments can impact your credit report, which has been another issue. Um, so it's all really good news. Um, it's good stuff that it will help protect consumers from kind of sleepwalking into this kind of debt. The downside is that the timeline for this is just so long. So we've been hearing about the fact that this market might start to be regulated. And actually, some of the bigger um, players in the market have made changes already ahead of a kind of um, 
the thinking that the government might crack down on the market. The government's now saying that it will come out with some rules by mid next year. Then at that point, the FCA, the um, financial regulator, will have to come up with its set of rules and consult on it. So what we're looking at is, I would imagine, probably about 18 months, two years at least away from when we'll actually see this regulation brought in. And at the moment, more people are turning to debt because of that cost of living crunch that you talked about, Dan. And so more people are going to take on um, these buy now, pay later debts and schemes um, before that regulation comes in. Those timelines are incredible, aren't they? If you think that you know, buy now, pay later has been in the mainstream for quite a few you know, quite a few years now, and lots of people have been talking about you need to have tighter regulation on it. So what? What on earth is it taking them so long to to do something? Yeah, I mean, it just seems bizarre to me how slowly that moves and how slow the system moves when a new industry pops up. We've seen, I mean, you were talking about cryptocurrency earlier, and we've seen a bit of a similar thing here of a new industry pops up, which now I think lots of people wouldn't even class as that new because it's been around for a long time. And still the government and regulators are grappling with how to regulate it, how to authorise it and put controls on it. It just seems um, very out of touch with how quickly some areas of the market are moving. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I just, you know, it's never been more important to get a grip on your finances. And actually, in recent weeks, Laura's been giving tips on the podcast to help listeners better manage your money. So if you've not heard those, just go back and listen to some uh, recent ones. There's some really good information because Laura's covered credit card perks and, and bank accounts of benefits. And this week, it's the turn of budgeting tools to help you manage your bills and income. Yeah, so um, I wanted to turn to budgeting apps. I think lots of people have been um, looking at their budget in the cost of living crisis, whether that's because they're really struggling to make costs meet or they just think things are going to get a bit tougher. Um, so it's a great time to look at your budget. And the most basic way you can do this is just yourself with a old fashioned spreadsheet, you open up Excel, you enter in details um, in terms of how much you've got coming in each month and then how much you've got coming out. But obviously that requires you to log into however many bank accounts you have and look at your spending or look at your credit card spending and um, and kind of compile all that information. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way, um, but there are lots of apps now that will kind of automate a lot of that process for you. These rely on something called open banking, which is where the you give the app permission to um, see your bank account and see your transactions. So that's the first caveat to all of these is you've got to be um, willing to allow that. Now, open banking is something that is very safe. It's authorized. Um, but for some people, they might feel a bit uncomfortable about that. And in which case, you're probably going to have to stick to a more old-fashioned spreadsheet way. Uh, but I thought I'd go through some of the apps. Um, I think if you use any outside of these ones that I've talked about, you need to just make sure that they're regulated and authorized by the FCA. Uh, so the first one I would highlight is Money Dashboard. So this will allow you to link lots of different accounts that you have, um, and it gives you a projected spend each month based on um, what you've been spending in previous months. And then it gives you a suggestion of how much you could be saving. Uh, it's free to use and there's an app version, but also there's a desktop version for people that aren't keen on doing everything on their phone and they want to do it on a desktop. So this is kind of your, your step up from your old fashioned spreadsheet and it'll look at all of your spending and, and show you what you're spending where and where crucially where, how much money you could be saving each month. Um, 
And then another option is Chip, um, which is um, free as well. It's an app and it calculates what you can afford to save and then crucially goes one step further and saves that money into a savings account. Um, Now that savings account at the moment is paying you just over 1%. So it's slightly less than the best rate that you could get on an easy access savings account. But for some people, the appeal of that automated um, saving will appeal to them more than um, actually putting money in a separate savings account. So as I said, it's free to use. There is a premium option that costs £3 a month, but that's only relevant if you're going to be using it for investing stuff, and that's kind of separate to what I'm talking about now. So you don't need to sign up to the premium version that costs money if you're just using it for kind of budgeting and auto-save tools. Um, And then the final one I wanted to mention is Plum. All of these apps have slightly strange names, but um, Plum, which does a similar thing of kind of analyzing your spending and working out what you could save each month, has a slightly lower interest rate on the savings account that it puts money into than Chip, but it's still around that 1% mark. Um, This will link to all of your different accounts and it will track your spending. But another feature that I think is really good about this and particularly handy at the moment is it will also analyze um, and let you know if you're overpaying for a particular bill and then it will suggest that you could switch to a new provider. Um, Again, this is free. All of the budgeting app stuff that you need from it, you can get on the free version. It has various different monthly plans that you have to pay for, which again are for its investing service. um, So kind of out of the realm of this. So make sure that you just sign up to the free one and you're not paying for it because actually those costs can add up quite a lot. Thanks, Laura. That's really interesting. I I must confess I haven't heard of some of those and you're you're right about the bonkers names. (laughs) I know, it's so weird. Like, Why would you think to call something Plum? I mean, I'm sure there's some really great (laughs) marketing logic behind it and we're talking about it now. That's probably the marketing logic. But um, yeah, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Let's turn our attention to takeovers. It seems like we're getting bids almost every day for different companies. Dan, what's going on and what's the latest? Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, recently takeover interest for HomeServe, Biffa, First Group and Go Ahead. And, you know, the latest ones got approaches for Euromoney and Emis. You know, it, it's, I guess, you know, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, UK valuations are cheaper than other parts of the world. And the weak pound has made these UK stocks even more attractive to overseas players. So um, you can perhaps understand why it's happening. I think a lot of people will be nursing portfolio losses this year, given how markets have been behaving. So, you know, if you come along and you see one of your holdings receives a takeover bid, and it could be 20, 30% um, takeover price above the current market price, well, you perhaps think that's pretty good news, but actually, I, I think that lots of takeovers are actually bad. I think that you know, if you're an investor and you've got a long-term view, you'll have picked stocks thinking, okay, these these have got the right qualities, and over the coming years, they're going to make me some decent money. So, if they're suddenly taken over, well, you they essentially you're removing this opportunity to make money in the future. So that's why I, I, I do think that people should think quite hard about takeovers. And of course, shareholders have to approve this. Um, don't simply be sort of tempted by those quick gains because you, you could be losing out longer term. And you know, I actually spoke to a fund manager earlier this week who owns Euromoney in their portfolio. And they sort of said, yeah, the bid was a bit of a mixed blessing. and um, But perhaps they weren't overly surprised. It was a, They sort of viewed it as a decent company and um, it was on a sort of a much cheaper valuation than lots of others in its, its peer group. And 
um, you know, they sort of pointed out that private equity companies were sitting on lots of cash. Uh, and in the sort of the current sort of volatile environment, they're much more likely to look at quality companies than sort of trashy ones. So um, I just think you know, investors have been willing, levels of less willing to pay higher multiples of earnings to own sort of shares this year. So we've seen sort of lots of quality stocks fall in value. Just give me some examples. You know, Games Workshop is down 40% year to date. The asset manager Line Trust is down nearly 60% since the start of January. So I think that if you've got some favorite stocks in your portfolio and they're considered quality companies, just keep an eye on them because there is now this risk that someone might come and gobble them up and delist them from the stock market. And you know, longer term, you could lose out versus that short-term gain if there's a sort of a premium to the to the market price. Yeah, it's interesting to think of takeovers not being like a wholly positive thing, because I think sometimes investors tend to think that it is because it means that that company is kind of desirable and someone wants to buy it up. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you know, the one that always comes back to me is the um, the big technology company, Arm, which used to be in the FTSE 100. Everyone, you know, so many people love that stock. And then from out of the blue came a takeover. And and then when it went, and people were going, well, you know, I loved having that stock in my portfolio. Also, it was the it was the FTSE 100's biggest technology name, and so now we've got we're less represented in in that sort of sector. Um, and and I, yeah, I just think that it, it's you know you've got to be long. You really do have to be long term when you invest. And um, I, you would have thought you've done some hard work to find companies that go into your portfolio. And, and losing them means you have to do some more hard work to find something else. And maybe the, the sort of the alternatives aren't as good quality as what you already had in the first place. Uh, now, shortly, we're going to bring Tom on to talk about pensions. But before that, Dan, I know you've been talking to some fund managers about oil giant Shell, and they've had some interesting things to say. Yeah, I mean, just a sort of quick one on this, because this year, oil prices have gone up. Um, lots of people sort of reassessed the, the, the oil sector. I think you know up until you know the start of this year, that you know people really gone off it was sort of for environmental ESG reasons, thinking okay, there's no future here, no one wants oil anymore. And this year, you know, the oil prices shot up, and you know the outlook is quite strong again for oil. So I think that there's lots of people who perhaps might have been in shell, they've gone back into it. But I spoke to James Henderson from the Henderson Opportunities Trust, and he was sort of saying. It's now come to the point where he's going to start selling down very slowly, but start selling down Shell because he thinks that um, it's almost like it, everyone is talking about Shell. Everyone's got this positive view now on the oil price. Now, if everyone's sort of sharing this sort of positive view, that's your trigger point to say, well, you know, I'm contrarian. I think you know, if, if the crowd is all in this one place, I'll take my money and run sort of thing. So he's actually going to be recycling the proceeds into AIM stocks. And so the AIM junior market of London Stock Exchange been really hammered this year. And so James Henson said that, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen lots of new people come into investing. Um, lots of people were attracted to AIM stocks. Um, but now they sort of, the, you know, perhaps for lots of people, the first time they've seen a market correction and they're all sort of, um, they're getting out now. And of course, there's no really big institutional investors want to invest in AIM at the moment because they're worried about the state of the market. So he thinks that there's loads of good bargains to be had. And, and that really is sort of taking a contrarian view. And he also thinks that Shell sort of transition into renewable energy, that it's it's returns it's currently making on alternative renewable assets versus the sort of the core oil and gas stuff is a lot less. 
And over time, when the sort of the excitement comes out of the oil sector, um, perhaps as oil prices sort of start to ease back again, he thinks people start to look at the returns from renewable holdings versus oil and gas stuff, and then sort of might may go off shell a little bit uh, and realise that you know longer term. Um, its returns might not be as strong, but I just thought it was a, it was a really interesting thing. I haven't actually seen anyone else talking about um, wanting to ditch Shell at the moment. It, it's the case every time I seem to interview an income fund manager, it's the stock that they all love to be in at the moment. Yeah, it's such a widely held stock, isn't it? And actually probably lots of listeners will have that in their portfolio. It repeatedly comes up as kind of the most held stock among UK investors, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So Tom Selby is here to talk about pensions. What's in your mailbag this week, Tom? Uh, Thanks, Laura. Yes, I've got a question from Evan who says, I'm 65 years old and thinking of accessing my pension in about 12 months time. However, Evan's been slightly spooked by markets recently. We've obviously seen some volatility in markets over the last few months, and that's knocked about £10,000 off the value of his pension. So he asks, what should I be thinking about and what should I be doing before withdrawing my money? Now, this is quite a common question. We've had that through from various um, different sources recently. So if you have a defined contribution pension pot, so that's a a pension pot where your money is invested in the stock market and then you turn that into a retirement income in your later years and you're planning to access that in the next 12 months, you should probably already have thought about your retirement income plans. But if you haven't, and lots of people won't have done, then don't panic. But I'd suggest not sticking your head in the sand either. So the first thing to do is ask yourself whether or not you really need to access your pension at all. Because pensions benefit from generous tax treatment on death, it can make sense for your pension to be actually the last asset that you touch rather than the first asset. It's also when you access taxable income from your pension, you'll reduce your annual allowance. So that's the maximum amount you can pay into a pension and receive tax relief from £40,000 to just £4,000. That's through what's called the money purchase annual allowance. Um, This is important if you decide you want to make additional pension contributions in the future, as many people will want to after they've accessed the pension, as you won't be able to benefit from tax relief on anything over £4,000 a year. So that's quite a severe restriction. Also, a kind of obvious point, but the later you're able to wait before accessing your pension, the greater the annual income it should be able to deliver for you because there'll be fewer years over which it will need to deliver it. Now, I think the final point to say on that is if you need to access your pension to provide a retirement income, that is, of course, what it's there for. But I think it's worth people like Evan asking themselves that that fundamental question before before they go ahead and start taking an income from their retirement pot. And so does it make a difference if someone's going to be buying an annuity, which is a guaranteed income for life from an insurance company, or if they're keeping their money invested by a drawdown? So yes, potentially that will make a difference. So if you if you are intent on accessing your, your pension, then you need to think about how you're going to generate an income from that retirement pot. So if you're in circumstances such as Evan, so you're 12 months away from the point at which you want to buy an annuity, and if you want to use your entire pot to buy an annuity, then you should probably have already shifted your fund into safer investments like 
cash. Um, if you haven't done that, then clearly you've been exposed to the the ups and downs, the short term ups and downs of the of the market, and you may have uh, lost a bit of money as a result of that. But not, nevertheless, if that is still your intention, then you should consider doing this. Otherwise, your your retirement prospects will be hostage to the fortune of, of short-term market movements, which isn't really a place most people want to find themselves in. Um, if you are going to go down the annuity route, it's worth remembering that the older you are, the better the annuity rate you'll be able to get from an insurance company. Um, it's also worth making sure that you disclose any health and lifestyle factors, such as how much alcohol you drink or, or if you smoke, as that could improve your annuity rate. It's one of those things where people tend to want to hide the truth about some of their negative habits, whereas when it comes to buying an annuity, it helps to be as honest as possible as you'll get a, a bigger income from your insurance company. Um, if you're if you're planning to cash in your entire fund, then you should probably be mostly interest, in, invested in lower risk assets as, as well. Again, if you're approaching the point at which you want, at which you want to cash that money in, um, although if you're going to go down that road, you need to also think very carefully both about the tax implications. So if you cash in your entire fund, you might pay more income tax than you necessarily would normally need to. And you'll also need to think about whether or not that's a sustainable strategy, given that your pension is going to need to last for as long as you do. Now, that, those are the situations where you probably would be wanting to move towards safer assets if you're 12 months away from retirement. The different situation potentially is if you're investing in drawdown. So if you're if you're moving into drawdown and taking a steady income from your drawdown pot, it, it's possible that your investments actually won't need to change much at all. Mm. So if you think of a healthy 65-year-old, they could live for 30 years or more in retirement. And so their, their investments will have plenty of time to grow even as they're taking an income. So for somebody in that position, a little bit of short-term market volatility, such as we've seen recently, shouldn't be quite such a problem as it is for someone who's buying an annuity. Um, the one thing you do need to think about if you're in drawdown is, is the impact of large withdrawals combined, combined with big market falls. That's something that's sometimes referred to as pound cost ravaging. If you get both of those things at the same time, that can have a seriously detrimental impact on the sustainability of your retirement plans. And it's one of the reasons why it's really important to keep your withdrawal strategy under review and be prepared to cut back if necessary. Well, brilliant. Thanks, Tom, as always, for amazing uh, guidance on what to do with your pensions. If you've got any sort of pension-related questions you'd like us to consider answering on the podcast, um, send us an email. It's podcast at ajbell.co.uk. That's all from us this week. Don't miss next week's podcast, where I'll be talking to Stuart Widdison from the Odyssean Investment Trust about some of the UK stocks catching his eye. Till then, thanks for listening and catch you next time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.